0: I'm very big on, as a leader, I think you need to create an environment where you celebrate failures. To sit down and and, and talk through where you failed and what you learned from it.
1: Hi, I'm Nils Vigna, and you're listening to the B two B Leadership Podcast, a show dedicated to demystifying leadership development, one conversation at a time, each week. I sit down with leaders in the B2B space to discuss their journey and what they've learned along the way. This podcast is brought to you by the B2B Leaders Academy. The cost of not consistently developing your leadership skills is enormous, and the B2B Leaders Academy features monthly leadership training and live coaching. Being a great leader isn't hard, you just need a guide and the right set of tools so, head on over to b2bleadersacademy.com to join and become the leader you have always wanted to be. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the B2B Leadership Podcast. My name is Nils Pinya, and today my guest is Arash Tadion. Arash, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. My pleasure. I'm looking forward to digging into all things leadership, but first, Would you share with me and this audience
0: your role that you're in today and the company that you work for absolutely yeah i'm the uh, vp of engineering at a company called trainual we are a software as a service company that works to help business owners and employees document essentially the playbook for the business so this is everything from the policies and processes to the org chart but essentially have a single source of truth for documenting the blueprint for the business
1: Okay, so I I completely align with having a single source of truth because I worked inside of a lot of organizations. I've consulted with lots of organizations and the single source of truth always tends to be a little bit of a challenge. How do you approach this problem differently than perhaps, you know, some people might be doing ad hoc or Google Docs or things? What's different about Trainual?
0: Yeah, so we've created a platform that really brings all of the different components of the blueprint into one place. And then allows you to connect all of these different kind of disconnected experiences. So similar to you, when I was uh, consulting, i jump into a lot of different companies where it's like, oh, I think we have a Google Doc for something like that. And then it would be searching through Google Drive for 15, 20 minutes and, and saying, okay, well, this is half-baked. So we've created a platform that's hyper-focused on this problem space and that tackles it through many different lenses. So it, it, it really is... Uh, centralized and focused on solving this problem versus a generalized tool that you can try to adapt.
1: That's wonderful. And in every SaaS solution, the more specific the problem that you solve, the better. So I love that you nailed this one. Very cool. All right. So Arash, take us back in time and we'd love to hear a little bit about how you got into your
0: first leadership position. Sure. Yeah. So I I had always been interested in computer science and decided to pursue an undergraduate degree at ASU in computer science. And in that time, I got hooked on entrepreneurship. So I actually started my first company, came out of a project that a roommate and I had been just kind of tinkering on in the background. But what it was, was we created a device for the operating room environment. We were hacking the Microsoft Connect to see if we could create a a gesture based interface for electronic medical records and created a, a prototype and MVP for that partnered up with with Mayo Clinic on seeing if we could create kind of a a true business and a product out of this, and ultimately ran that company into the ground so the the, the first time I was put in a position where I was kind of running things but but learned a ton from it.
1: let's well, clarify what run into the ground really means because there's there's a lot behind that, and this was going on for I imagine a number of years so tell us a little bit about what you know led to that running it into the ground.
0: Sure. Yeah. So was very naive with respect to kind of the approach to the this first company. Didn't really understand all of kind of what goes into managing money and understanding kind of the nuances of of HIPAA and regulatory environments and, and whatnot as it's associated with the problem space that we were working in. Because of that, I think we we very quickly realized we were in well beyond kind of our 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 depths on being able to tackle it with the limited resources that we had and was not in a position where I necessarily knew how to figure out the answers to some of the questions that I had. So uh, it was a process of discovery and, and ultimately, I think after a while, our attrition kind of gave up and we decided to go a different direction with, with other projects, so.
1: Okay, it, you know, interesting end, but just the mere fact that you took this from a you know, roommate project to a full-fledged product, to a company, to partnering with Mayo Clinic, one of the most well-known brands in the world in the medical space. I mean, that's pretty phenomenal. I, I look at that and say, wow, that's pretty impressive. Even though hearing that, yeah, you might've been out of your depths, as you said, but like just the progress that you made, what was it about what was going on that you and your roommate and partner on this? How did you get through those times? Because I know there's ups, downs, and sideways. What was it that pulled you through all the way to the end?
0: For us, an innate sense of curiosity, I think, was the biggest thing that that, that pulled us through this. So it was, it was a time where, regardless of of this project being viable or this company being viable or whatnot, we were super passionate about really being able to to go through kind of the journey of discovery. It was through that that we were able to pull through m- much of kind of the, the the strife associated with with starting a company. I've always been super interested in in, in puzzles and problem solving and whatnot. So I viewed this as kind of another puzzle or challenge to try to go through and solve one one piece at a time. And you get hyper focused on just the next small problem. And then you look back and over time, it's like, hey, I actually solved a series of of a lot of small problems, which was a a big problem. So
1: I love how you phrased it as the journey of discovery. Like you're never going to know everything that needs to be done in front of you for the next you know, three months, even one year, three years, five years, whatever. But that journey of discovery and being innately curious, I mean, that's an incredible leadership skill, regardless of level, position, company, product. That's what got you through. It's about those small little steps, not the big gigantic milestones that sometimes we only focus on when we think about progress. Okay. So take us from, you know, you ended that environment and ended that company.
0: What was next? Yeah. So ended that company. And like I said, I, I learned a ton from it, not only about kind of the, the, the problem solving process and entrepreneurship, but uh, around how to be an effective leader. Took kind of that skill set and decided to start my second company right when I started my doctoral work at ASU as well. And the second company was in the space of mobile apps. So this was another area that, again, innate curiosity, I was interested in learning more about how to create mobile apps. And I thought, what better way to, to learn than to dive in and throw myself off the deep end and create a company around it, a services company. So me and a group of, of three other friends got together and we were all computer scientists, super interested in the space. And it was right during the boom of, of everyone felt like they needed an app for their business. So the, the timing lined up really well. We spent some time kind of learning on our side and then dove in and, and started picking up some contract work and slowly scaled that, that up over the course of the next six years, actually.
1: Wow. That's an incredible run. And again, starting from scratch, right? You didn't have apps. At one point, they didn't exist, believe it or not. I remember that boom when it was literally there's an app for everything all of a sudden the next day. Like it was just poof. And you guys were behind some of that. That's really cool. So how did the journey of discovery, you know, formulate in this particular environment is different than the previous one you were in the medical world working with mayo now all of a sudden you're in a services company working with clients who wanted you to build apps so what kind of the what was the parallel between some of the skill sets that you brought from the first company to the second one
0: yeah i think so so much of the skill set around problem solving and, and getting hyper focused on small problems versus trying to tackle big problems out of the gate was much of what drove this company as well so i think for us None of us had a background in business. I had my brief stint on the entrepreneurial side, but really didn't have a background in business or marketing or anything like that. And when you create a services company, it's heavily tied to, to being able to effectively market yourselves and, and get through the noise and whatnot. But we took the approach of let's take one project at a time and slowly started to snowball from there. So our first uh, contract was actually through ASU there was a department that was looking to build an app for an event that they that they were hosting so we said this is something we could do we put a bid on it and they gave us a contract so we built it we're successful they recommended us to someone else and and consequently they recommended us so it it became kind of a a a web of we solved for the marketing problem by just doing good work so word of mouth became kind of our, our our sole source
1: that's wonderful. And yeah, so the big problem of how do you market yourself as a services company, you solve by attacking very small problems, which was how do I nail this project? How do I please this client? How do I get a great referral to somebody else?
0: Is that right? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And I, I think you'd be surprised at how far that that gets you. I think in the services space for us, we took an approach of given that there was kind of this, this boom in, in mobile apps, there were a lot of kind of non-technical people that were trying to understand the space. So we took a lot of time up front to explain exactly what is a mobile app, what is native, what is cross platform, what are all of these different components and buzzwords that you're hearing kind of in the market to, to really distill that down.
1: And I imagine your clients saw you guys as leaders in the space because you here you were, doctoral candidates or already had your PhDs in computer science, and you were able to break things down and tell them in terms that they could understand. In other words, you met them where they were.
0: Yep, exactly. Hmm.
1: That's a really powerful, I think, leadership lesson. Again, regardless of discipline, domain, company, position, you're meeting people where they are, right? That's, that's what it comes down to. Because if you talk in the way that you know <laughs> all the details, you could have talked to them to the nth degree about code and this and that technology, and it wouldn't have made a difference. You would have sounded really smart, but they wouldn't have cared because they wouldn't have understood you.
0: Yeah, 100%. I think it's critical to kind of read your audience and understand, as you said, meet them where they're at. So I could explain the same exact thing to my my own technical team versus kind of a a non-technical customer in two completely different ways.
1: And that is a real skill uh, from a leadership perspective, because nobody will follow you and nobody will even sign up to work with you, period, if they can't understand you. And level of communication is really important to have that awareness to take a step back that how you view and see the world is different than how everybody else sees the world. And they don't have the same context as you. So I love that you called that out. And that was how you guys built your business. And that's wonderful. So after, you know, the time six, seven years with this business, what was the decision point to move on?
0: Yeah. So I think I got to a position where I had kind of just lost my passion for what I was doing. Uh, And I go through and do a little bit of kind of a self audit every year to, to look at where I am versus where I was in the last, kind of the start of the previous year and decide, okay, is this still the trajectory that I want to follow? And when I realized, hey, this services thing isn't necessarily as interesting or enticing for me, it's super lucrative, super profitable, but ultimately on the fulfillment side, I'd I'd, I'd much rather find a path that would take me to to long-term fulfillment. That's when I made the decision to to kind of leave that company and uh, decided to go a different direction.
1: Got it. That's uh, wonderful. Can you tell us a little bit more about the self audit that you do once a year?
0: Yeah. So I'll go through and do some goal planning. I'll sit down and, and, and do planning around kind of what, what are my external goals. So this might be tied to career, to relationships, to income, to whatever else. So I'll sit down and, and, and look at all of those things holistically. And then I'll, I'll do kind of an internal audit as well around who I am as a person and who I've become over the last year and make sure that there continues to be alignment with kind of the changes that I've seen within myself and, and, and the person that I ultimately want to be. And as soon as I identify misalignment, then it's the same challenge on the on the entrepreneurial side of going through and doing some problem solving and trying to identify what were the factors that, that created this change and, and how can I alleviate those?
1: That's really interesting. Is there a particular time of year that you like to do this? Is it coincide calendar or just do you have a particular when you go through this?
0: Yeah, I try to do it in in, in the month of January. I I don't necessarily have a specific date every year that I do it, but the the month of January is is kind of my kickoff for that.
1: That's awesome. And I love how you just mentioned there that once you have these goals and once you find the alignment, then it's about problem solving, which is what you were talking about was key to your success on the entrepreneurial side. And so curious for your thoughts on how the skill set of entrepreneurship, you know, aligns with just people in, in general, and as opposed to necess- maybe starting companies or things like that? Like, what's the, what's the through line between these two?
0: Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. I think entrepreneurship is, from my perspective, often a misnomer for those that are solely interested in starting companies. I think, for me, the, the entrepreneurial mindset is something that transcends well beyond starting a company and, and to every aspect of your life. It's a way of thinking, of, of problem solving. It, it's uh, got components of, of grit, creativity, that I think if you apply that lens to any challenge that you have, whether it's as an IC, as a leader, wherever in your life, there are a lot of different benefits that can be found through that lens that I think otherwise become much more difficult.
1: We'll get back to the interview in just a minute. This episode is brought to you by the B2B Leaders Academy. The cost of not consistently developing your leadership skills is enormous. The B2B Leaders Academy features monthly leadership training and live coaching. Being a great leader isn't hard. You just need a guide and the right set of tools. Head on over to B2BLeadersAcademy.com to join and become the leader you've always wanted to be. Now let's get back to the interview. So let's dig into the entrepreneurial mindset just a little bit and let's get maybe a little bit more tactical with something that perhaps somebody listening to this is thinking, wow, that's kind of interesting. And yeah, I have thought about entrepreneurship as typically my CEO that started the company or the founding group or whatever. You know, that's not really me. What advice would you share with someone who's, you know, just in a position, whether it's in a technically in a people leadership position or not? around how to adapt this entrepreneurial mindset to help them improve, grow, change, etc.
0: Oftentimes, as leaders, we're thrown into situations where we we don't necessarily have a background or experience to lean on. In those scenarios, entrepreneurship, I've heard it described as jumping out of a plane and figuring out how to build a parachute on the way down. I think that analogy applies very directly to oftentimes the positions and the problems that we're thrown into as leaders, where we don't necessarily have a background or or history that we can rely on to, to solve rudimentary issues. It's often complicated issues where we go through a journey of discovery uh, to identify root causes and whatnot, and then ultimately have to come up with creative solutions. Many times as leaders, we're resource-strapped, and it's Hey, based upon the inputs and, and the resources that you have available to you, figure out a creative solution to this problem. So I think it's it's that process and that that repetitive piece where where a lot of times I think people describe it as more of an art than a science. But I think if you apply the entrepreneurial mindset to it, it can be more of a science than art.
1: Love it. Yeah, that makes total sense and resonates with me. I mean, jumping out of a plane, building a parachute on the way down, regardless of if that plane is flying A thousand feet above the ground, or a hundred thousand feet above the ground, or it's a Boeing jet liner and you're, you know, got the full air mask on, or it's a, you know, little prop plane down doing a small jump, right? It's still the same. And what all those different planes and kind of elevations mean in that example of sharing is that those are all the infinite number of different challenges you might face as a leader, right? Individual contributor or technical people leadership they're going to be any number of different things that you're going to get thrown into, like you said, and you'll have no idea what to do. (laughs) But can you build a parachute on the way down is the question. And that is what the entrepreneurial mindset is designed to do.
0: Is that a fair assessment there? A hundred percent. One other piece I wanted to hit on was the concept of grit. I think as an entrepreneur, a lot of times you hit dead ends. I think it's very easy to kind of throw in the towel and say, hey, like I'm done. But I think it's that characteristic of, of grit that entrepreneurial mindset kind of pushes that I think is so critical as a leader as well. I think a lot of times there you'll try a hundred different ways to solve a problem and they might all fail, but all it takes is one that works. Right. So,
1: yeah. Yeah. So let's talk about grit a little bit because sometimes this can be characterized as something somebody has or they don't have. And I don't think that's necessarily accurate because everybody's in comes from a different backgrounds in a different environment, different situation, sees the world differently. So how does would one go about developing the the concept of grit if this wasn't something that, you know, they were just born with or this wasn't just how they naturally thought as a result of their background and upbringing?
0: Yes, yeah, so I 100% agree with you. I, I don't think grit is, is is like a binary thing where you can point to someone and say that person has grit or that person doesn't. It's a growth mindset kind of perspective around being able to to fail, but see your failures as successes and, hey, I, I, I learned something new from that failure and I'm going to take it and apply it and, and, and try again in a slightly different way. So I think it, it, it's having that positive lens around failure and being able to accept that as kind of a component of the process and grow through that.
1: It's really fascinating how as an industry in the B2B SaaS world, like Phil, often fail fast, all that comes up all the time. Yet the reality is inside of organizations all over the world, there is incredible fear (laughs) around failing and more particular, probably the the actions like being fired as a result of failing. And what you just said there was, was really key on the mindset piece, because regardless of the aftermath and what happens, you know, as a result of failing, it is you that controls how you feel about the failure. You can decide if this was a good thing, as you noted, hey, I failed, this is what I learned, this is what I would do differently next time and move on. And Or you could think, well, I failed and therefore my company is going to fire me and now I feel terrible,
0: right? (laughs) Yeah, I'm very big on as a leader, I think you need to create an environment where you celebrate failures. So not even just address or accept failures, but celebrate them to sit down and, and, and talk through where you failed and what you learned from it. I used to run a little... Event, it's an expletive, but it, it mess up nights is what we'd call it. But we'd sit down and, and and share kind of stories of of major failures that we had in our lives, what we learned from it, and take a take a moment to to kind of laugh at yourself and accept that again that is part of the process, and and that has led to kind of where you're at now.
1: That's wonderful. I love I love that you had a group because sometimes celebrating failures is really more important with the group than it is just by yourself. Like it's important to do yourself for sure, but. It's more therapeutic and more cathartic in a group. And you also realize that you're not alone, right? There's other people that you're like, wow, (laughs) I didn't know that. Okay, (laughs) it gives you some kind of bearing, but we're all in this together in some form or fashion and you're not in it alone. So being open about the failure and just having that humility, but maintaining that positive mindset that, hey, this isn't a define me. This just empowers me to make a better decision next time. 100%.
0: I think as a leader, if you set that tone and that culture, it enables autonomy. I think a lot of times when employees and and, and teammates are afraid of failing, then they feel like, okay, I need to go through seven layers of of approvals and make sure that everyone's on board and whatnot before I go through and make this decision. But I think if you create that culture where failure is okay and celebrated, autonomy is kind of the the, the natural result.
1: That's, I mean, that's what we're all after, right? As a leader is that we want empowered, people who work on our teams, whether they're individual contributors, managers, directors, whatever, and we want them to empower others. And if you create that culture from the top and that's what you're going to do, then poof, everything else falls into place. And curious insight on that celebrating failures piece. Is there anything that you do with your engineering organization inside of Trainual that not only embodies this culture, but just how to celebrate failures? Like, how do you handle this inside an org?
0: Yeah, we're we're very big on ca- on calling out kind of our own failures internally. So we'll we'll uh, create Slack threads and posts and say, "Hey, tried this, didn't work out. This is what I learned from it. It's something that I think needs to be instilled from top down, so that the entire leadership team is is on board and we're not calling people out for for failures or whatever else. But we're we're very big on on open and honest communication around these things. So we're we're constantly sharing things that we tried and things that didn't work.
1: Hmm, love that,
0: and it's as
1: simple as a Slack channel, which virtually or a Teams channel, whatever platform your company happens to use. But as simple as that, right? That's the community, that's the group. But it starts with you, and and I imagine you share your failures too in there. Because sure do. If you don't, as the VP, everybody else is going to be like, I don't really want to share either.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure do. And I, I, I'm the first to take responsibility. When something that that I tried didn't work out, or if I tripped up or made a mistake, I I think a lot of times it, it's when you try to create this false perception of, of infallibility that it's it creates that that negative culture. So
1: oh, one hundred percent, and it and it balloons really fast. Like you can, you, sometimes even a small, a seemingly small incident can have massive repercussions just because people will perceive things a certain way. And that's why from a leadership perspective, doing what you said you would do, which is just being out on the front lines, like, nope, I do this too. I fail too. It's okay. Here's what I learned. And it's like, oh my gosh, Arash did that. Wow, I can do that too. So that's that's wonderful. I love how you are bringing that into the culture, integrated into the work of the team, and it just becomes part of who you are. Very cool. So question about the identifying the entrepreneurial mindset in when you go through the interview process and are looking for people to join your organization, either at an you know individual contributor level or at a leadership level, how do you go about identifying that mindset? Sometimes it might be easy, sometimes it might be not. Sometimes it might be written all over the person's resume and sometimes might you might have to peel back some layers. So how do you go about identifying that before you decide to bring somebody on?
0: It's a very good question. So I on the engineering side, I think oftentimes as engineering leaders we get Uh, hyper-focused or or overemphasize the need for someone to have experience in our technical stack and the tools that we use and and whatnot versus my perspective on it is I'm much more willing to invest in someone that has that entrepreneurial mindset and problem-solving kind of ability, knowing that they're going to be able to ramp up and pick these things up, the underlying tools and whatnot that we use. So within the interview process, one of the questions that I'll ask is a purposefully vague question. So I'll throw that out there and see if they can go through the process of asking clarifying questions and trying to better identify and and define the problem before jumping in and trying to ideate around solutions. And then around their solution ideation, as they're sitting down and ideating solutions, I'll change the components of the problem. So I'll, I'll change some of the variables and see how they adapt to that, see whether or not they're process kind of changes or if they're able to kind of adapt in a changing environment. Because I think that really helps identify, one, yeah, again, their 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 ability to, to be creative uh, and look at things creatively. And two, uh, I think a lot of times ego is another thing that I want to try to vet out within that process and see whether or not someone gets overly attached to kind of a, a solution and is like, no, well, this is the right way. This is the problem that I was given versus being willing to, to say, okay, no, this is actually wrong given kind of these changes and whatnot.
1: Hmm. Love it. Would you be willing to share just one vague question that you put out there? Like, what, are we talking like the management consulting? Like, I got asked this one time, and, and I'd love your thoughts on this. I was in a, an interview for a management consulting firm long, long ago. I thought I might want to go down that path. I learned very quickly that that was not the right place for me. But the question that they asked in the interview, which I had no idea was coming, admittedly, I did not do the right prep. For knowing that this was probably the situation which with every management consulting interview was how many pennies are in the state of California and I was like excuse me what (laughs) I I failed that interview absolutely miserably and not surprisingly did not get a call back what is one example of just one of those broad vague questions that you put out there first uh, that you like to have people solve
0: yeah, so, so mine aren't necessarily quite as as broad or big as that
1: good because that one literally was the, the other world compared to where i was at the time
0: <laughs> i try to focus it so specifically for the software engineers i'll focus in a little bit more on like what we call algorithms questions so essentially one of the questions might be so you've got an array of numbers and one of the numbers is missing what's the most efficient way of figuring out what number is missing in that set And I'll look for them asking questions on, okay, is this positive whole numbers that are in this array? Is it sorted? Can I assume the size of the array? So there are all these kind of defining questions that we need asked up front as engineers before we can jump in and even start to ideate around a potential solution.
1: Wow, that's really cool. And I love how you highlighted just the importance of clarifying the statement clarifying the question and the situation before you ever get to the actual potential solution because if you jump right into the solution you're going to miss miss it all and that's a really wonderful thing to be able to identify the thinking patterns and the potential of somebody to solve problems is are they going to just take what you say at face value or are they going to ask some clarifying questions the more clarifying questions my guess is the better they will do in the interview is that fair
0: yeah, and ultimately for me, I'm, I don't even care that they get the right answer. There is a right answer, and it's a, it's a highly efficient solution which relies on you knowing a certain kind of formula. But I don't I don't care that they get the right answer. I'm more concerned about their process of going through and, and ideating uh, around the problem. Bringing it back
1: to the entrepreneurial mindset, right? The big problem is solving this vague question. And then all the little steps are those tiny little question, clarifying questions and little pieces that come along the way. This is a perfect way of identifying whether or not somebody is, has that characteristic inside them, which you know, if they do, it's probably going to be pretty successful no matter what problem you throw at them.
0: 100%. Yeah. And we, we, we've got a pretty strong hit rate with the engineers that we've hired. So I think it's been working so far.
1: Yeah, that sounds like it. That's fantastic. All right, Rash. final question here. If you were to go back in time and sit down with your younger self when you were getting that first company off the ground at ASU, and you could, you know everything you know today, what advice would you give to your younger self?
0: I think, again, it's that, that fear of failure. I think very early in my career, I, I had a very big fear of failure. Uh, and it caused a lot of stress and anxiety that was completely unnecessary. I think when when that company failed, it was a pretty heavy hit to me emotionally at that time. It's obviously something that, like I said, I was very naive and, and heavily emotionally invested in, as all entrepreneurs are. But being able to look at that as as kind of a net positive, it took me many years before I could look back at that and say, Hey, I actually learned a ton from like that, that was a very positive experience for me. It was right around that time that I kicked up some of the, the self audit and some of the other kind of habits and stuff that I've picked up over time. So I would would definitely say, don't be afraid of failure.
1: What was it that changed that allowed you to see several years later that experience as all the successes you had versus the failure?
0: What changed? Yeah. So ultimately for me, not a very pretty story, but it was kind of a, a, a breaking point for me. I was was taking on my, my PhD and, and the new company and all these other things, and I had a lot of stressors on me and had kind of a little bit of a mental health crisis and decided at that point that it was time to sit down and do something different and, and sat down and went through, again, historically, all of the different decisions and whatnot that I made that that led up to the point that I was at and tried to examine those under a slightly different lens, which ended up in, in kind of the habit that I have now, the, the annual review habit. so
1: Wow. That's powerful. I mean, it. And the interesting thing is that the same memories are there, right? The same facts happen because no matter how much time or effort you spend thinking about the past, it doesn't change. Can't change it, yeah. Right? But the meaning of what you did changed as a result of that reflection and that exercise and taking an honest look and saying, where what really did go on there? And what is the meaning that you want to associate with it? And I think that's just an incredibly powerful tip and tool to remember is that when you look back, you get to decide the meaning of what's in the past. That's gonna determine how you feel. Cool. Absolutely. Well, Rash, it's been absolutely a pleasure to speak with you about leadership today, your journey, wonderful advice, the entrepreneurial mindset, and that it's not just for people starting companies. So thank you so much for sharing your time and expertise with us. Can't wait to hear about all the great things that you and the team at Trainual are going to do.
0: Thank you so much. Thank you again for having me.
1: My pleasure. Thank you for listening to the B2B Leadership Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, I'd welcome you to subscribe and give the show a five-star review. You can see the show notes and all of the resources mentioned in today's episode at b2bleadershippodcast.com. As always, I'm Nils Vinya, and I hope you'll join us again next week. Take care and have a great rest of your day. This podcast is brought to you by the B2B Leaders Academy. The cost of not consistently developing your leadership skills is enormous. And the B2B Leaders Academy features monthly leadership training and live coaching. Being a great leader isn't hard. You just need a guide and the right set of tools. So head on over to B2BLeadersAcademy.com to join and become the leader you have always wanted to be.